Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Get Your Goat. Your host, Josh, here, and today I'm going to be talking about the new playoff overtime rule, if I'm excited for that change or not. Then, John Harbaugh gets a three-year contract extension. What that means for Lamar Jackson and his contract extension that is on the table. Then I'm going to talk about Jimmy G and Baker Mayfield and also my power rankings after the initial surge of free agency. How do the teams stack up? Then, after that, I'm going to talk about the Lakers missing the play-in tournament. Season ended. They would not be in the playoffs in the play-in right now. Paul George returns as well. Then I'm going to give my top five teams in the NHL and also discuss March Madness and how the team I picked preseason, Duke, how they are only 80 minutes away from cutting down the nets of what will be a thriller Final Four finish this weekend. So let's get started with the new playoff overtime rule in that uh, change for overtime is only happening in the postseason. Uh, and that is that both teams now get a chance and will have a fair shot, I believe, uh, to win the game. Both teams will have the opportunity to possess the ball in overtime in the postseason. If the score is tied after each team has possessed the ball, that score wins. If a team kicking off to start the overtime period scores a safety on the receiving team's initial possession, the team that kicked off is the winner. I love this change. I think this change is great. I think it's great for the NFL, and it will make games better. And a lot of this started because of the Bills and Chiefs playoff game this year. One of the best playoff games in the history of playoff games where it was constant back and forth. Looked like the Bills were going to win, but with 13 seconds, Mahomes drives down the field. They kicked a field goal. The tie goes into overtime. Chiefs win the coin toss. They win the game. Uh, Josh Allen never touches the ball. I believe... The Bills would have won that game if they would have kept on going back and forth. Uh, you look at a few years ago, you know, Tom Brady leads a game-tying drive against the Chiefs in Arrowhead. What happens? Patriots get the to receive. They march down the field score. Patrick Mahomes never touches the ball. I believe Patrick Mahomes has the ball. Uh, he wins that game. They go to the Super Bowl, not the Patriots. So I think this is a great rule for playoffs only. I love that it's only instituted in the playoffs. Uh, If this was instituted throughout the regular season, I get where people say about player safety. And to me, you know, there are not, it doesn't seem to me as there are a lot of overtime games. And sometimes, you know, the games just may, you know, for instance, we had the Lions in Detroit or the Detroit Lions, and the Pittsburgh Steelers tie this year. Uh, that's not a game I wanted to keep Steve going. I mean, if you guys can't score in overtime, I mean, I mean, you both deserve to lose, but you get the tie. 
So I am not, you know, against this rule at all. I'm happy it's playoff only because that's when the game matters most. That's when you want an equal and fair shot to win, not on some luck of the coin toss and the referee flipping it on a heads or tails that kind of decides your fate. So I love it. I think this is great. And, you know, to me, it just makes sense uh, that it does happen. Because you look at some of the overtime games, for example, you look at the Bengals and Chiefs this year in the AFC Championship game. The Chiefs had the first possession. They didn't score. The Bengals ended up winning. Uh, So, you know, is it very likely that, you know, because of this new rule in the playoff, we're going to have, you know, two, three overtimes? No, I still believe they're ended in the first overtime. Uh, And, you know, I don't believe also that this hurts, uh, you know, player safety. I don't think Josh Allen right now is, you know, going to be campaigning like, hey, I don't know about this overtime. You know, let's play it safe. I don't think, you know, he is uh, campaigning for that, or good NFL players are really campaigning for that, which is why this was approved. So, you know, there are people that don't like it uh, because of those player safety issues. And I get it, but that's why it's implemented postseason only to where you get a more fair chance. It's better for the fans, media, highlight reels. To me, it's just better in general. So I think this new playoff rule is going to benefit, and it's really going to allow the best team to win, uh, not just whoever scores the first touchdown wins the game. So I love this rule. I wish we could go back in time and watch, you know, the Bills and Chiefs and see how that game finishes if they got a fair shot. So no, I don't think this is a, you know, move based on feelings and emotions. I think it's based on fairness and getting, you know, both teams an equal opportunity uh, to win the game. And isn't that what we're all about now as a society in this country is equality and fairness? Uh, So to me, it it just makes sense uh, to have equality on the football field as well. So I am totally for this. Now, Uh, Moving on to the New Orleans Saints. A couple of moves with them the past few days. One, Malcolm Jenkins has retired. uh, Longtime safety uh, of the New Orleans Saints. has called it a career. uh, Had a fantastic career, uh, you know, with, you know, the Saints, you know, where he was drafted and played. Uh, Then he spent a few years with the Eagles you know, winning a couple Super Bowls, you know, one with the Saints, one with the Eagles, and then finally coming back and ending his career uh, with the Saints. You know, fantastic, fantastic player. Uh, You know, was, you know, the true grinder, you know, had a 113-3 game uh, streak that was ended due to COVID uh, this past year. But no, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, great safety. So that's one item that happened to the Saints. What else happened? They signed QB Andy Dalton. 
And at first I was puzzled because, you know, they re-signed Jameis Winston. They already have Taysom Hill's big contract on their roster. So to me, it didn't make a lot of sense to sign Andy Dalton at all at the moment. Uh, But they signed Andy Dalton, and they said they're going to keep Taysom Hill. But he is going to be used as a tight end and slot him to that. You know, use his versatility more. Use him more as a tight end. I believe we'll see him more uh, instead of a pure quarterback, as we did a few games last year. More to what Sean Payton had him as, where you can slot him as a tight end. You can move him to a fullback, run a wildcat with him. He can throw on occasion out of a backfield. Uh, but I believe Taysom Hill is going to be that all-over-the-piece kind of guy for the New Orleans Saints. You know, one of the most versatile players has that unique contract, you know, that, you know, his contract's $40 million. It could be 95 if he plays majority of a quarterback. He ain't getting that $95 million. I'm sure he's bummed about that. He's losing out on 55 by not being the starting quarterback. Uh, but I'm sure he's happy to just get 40 I'd be happy. Uh, with forty million, or maybe an equivalent in my profession would be, you know, four hundred thousand a year. I'd be happy. I'd be pretty happy with that. So I don't think Taysom Hill's gonna whine and cry too much uh, about his situation at all. But the Saints, you know, clearly are. We'll see what happens with Jameis and his recovery. But it definitely gives him more of a quarterback competition, and now. And to me, a more reliable backup than Taysom Hill, who has dealt with concussion injuries in the past, and Trevor Simeon, who did not inspire any confidence, nor did Ian Book this year. Next, Ravens, John Harbaugh gets a three-year contract extension uh, to keep him there through the 20. A 25 season, I feel like John Harbaugh has been the coach uh, forever uh, there, you know, 59 years old. This, I think this is going to be his 15th year in Baltimore. I believe he's only the third, or he is the third longest tenured coach uh, in the NFL behind Bill Belichick and Mike Tomlin. And, you know, Harbaugh has been great in his career with the Ravens. I believe he is deserving of this extension. You know, a career record of 148 in 96. He's won a Super Bowl title, coach of the year as well. Uh, Has developed Lamar Jackson. Uh, Made a couple of questionable calls last year going for it uh, for a two-point conversion multiple times and coming up short and, to me, costing your team a playoff spot uh, because of that. But this man has changed the culture of the Baltimore Ravens, has made this team great. Uh, and I believe this is a well-deserved contract extension for him. And, but what does this mean for their quarterback, Lamar Jackson, who is also seeking a contract extension? I think this is good news from John uh, for Lamar Jackson. I think the biggest supporter of Lamar Jackson in the locker room uh, isn't the owner of a general manager. I think it's John Harbaugh. I think he is Lamar's biggest supporter. I think he's the one who will fight for Lamar Jackson to get paid, and he will do his best to get paid uh, because of this style of offense that they run is through Lamar Jackson. So I believe Lamar is in 
line for a big payday, even if I don't think uh, he is necessarily worthy of it. Lamar has to be happy about this. He also has to be happy about Deshaun Jackson, uh, who got a five-year fully guaranteed $230 million. Uh, That's just ecstatic because, you know, your coach loves you. You look at Deshaun and you can say, hey, I've won an MVP. Deshaun hasn't. I've been more reliable than Deshaun. Yes, I was kind of injured this year, uh, but look at me. I don't have 22 civil lawsuits against me. So that's another thing going. So if they're willing to pay him five years, 250, what are you willing to pay me? You know, are you willing to up it a few million, you know, five years, 240? Or are you thinking some year in like the six year, you know, 260, 280, really front load that contract. So I think Lamar is in line for a big, big payday. Would I pay Lamar Jackson that kind of money? No. Uh, I've never been sold on Lamar Jackson as a passer. He has had great passing games, but he's never put together a fantastic season, 17 games, where every single week I view him as a threat throwing the ball from the pocket. I view him more as a threat, you know, running the football than I do throwing the football. So because of that, I don't pay him. And also because of the injury this year. I believe running quarterbacks have a tendency to get hurt more. Uh, Michael Vick was torn up by taking all the hits. Uh, Cam Newton, you know, was just shot because he took so many hits. So those injuries tend to pile up Lamar at his ankle. So when you have a mobile quarterback like that, who to me is more run first than throw first, you know, I look at Russell Wilson, who had earlier in his career, when he was looking to scramble, he was looking to run. Now in his career, he scrambles and he wants to throw the ball downfield. He makes plays, he scrambles in the pocket, you know, for 50 yards, you know, not crossing the line of scrimmage. Because he wants to throw the ball downfield. I don't get that from Lamar. It's like, oh, people coming up the middle, I'm running the outside. People rushing for me from the outside, I'm running through the inside. So that is the one key difference. That's why I don't pay Lamar the injuries. It's a lot of concern there for me. And that's not a risk. I'm willing to take all that guaranteed dollars. You know, we talked about a contract changing extension. Every single year, we had Patrick Mahomes' contract uh, last year. You know, we have uh, Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson's this year. So every year, there's a contract extension that's record-setting. Do I believe a contract extension gets done this offseason? No. I think that is something that they'll focus on next year and next offseason with Lamar Jackson. Now time to get into the Jimmy G or Baker debate. I don't think these two quarterbacks are going anywhere anytime soon because all the quarterback chairs have filled up. Let's quickly run down the teams. Buffalo got their quarterback in Josh Allen. New England got their quarterback in Mac Jones. Miami is set with Tua. They also signed Teddy. I think Jimmy G would be an appealing option there with Mike McDaniels, uh, offensive coordinator of the Niners, who is now the head coach there. 
But with them signing Jimmy G and having Tua, I don't know if they bring in a third in Jimmy G. Jets have Zach Wilson. Bengals, uh, Joe Burrow. Pittsburgh, they signed Mitch Trubisky. They also got Mason Rudolph, Dwayne Haskins. Cleveland signed Deshaun Watson. Uh, Also, they signed Jacoby Brissett. So Baker is no longer needed on that team. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson. Tennessee, Ryan Tannehill. But Colts traded for Matt Ryan. Houston traded away Deshaun Watson. But interestingly enough, they didn't include Baker in that deal. Usually, when big quarterbacks are traded, it's all the draft picks. And you throw in a quarterback just to take it away from them. Wasn't that case. You look at last year when uh, the Lions traded away Matt Stafford for a big haul for draft picks. Who did the Rams throw in there? They threw in Jared Goff. But Houston didn't want Baker. So Baker ain't going there. I don't believe Jimmy G's going to Houston. I believe this is a full rebuilding year. Again, Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, Kansas City. They got their guy Patrick Mahomes, the Raiders, uh, Derek Carr. Chargers, Justin Herbert, Denver has Russell Wilson. So the AFC is set with their quarterbacks. I don't see Jimmy G or Baker going anywhere there. Dallas, they got their man Dak Prescott. Philadelphia, I think they're really going to try it out with Jalen Hurts. Washington, they traded for Carson Wentz. The Giants have Daniel Jones. They also signed Tyrod Taylor. Interesting move there. Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, Minnesota, Kirk Cousins, Chicago, Justin Fields, Detroit, Jared Goff, Tampa Bay, they got Brady back, New Orleans, signed Andy Dalton, and they also re-signed Jameis Winston. Atlanta, Atlanta is a possibility uh, with Matt Ryan, Felipe Franks is gone, Carolina, they have Sam Darnold, Cam Newton could come back, Rams have their a guy in... Uh, Matthew Stafford, Arizona, Kyler Murray, San Francisco, Trey Lance. Uh, We'll see if Jimmy G stays, and Seattle, Drew Locke. So really, the only two destinations I see are Seattle and Atlanta. But Seattle, do they want a full rebuild or not? Drew Locke is not the guy. He hasn't been the guy with the Denver Broncos, so... You know, the Denver Broncos wanted this big trade for Russell, so they sent over Drew Locke. And Drew Locke has not been who they envisioned when they drafted him. Do I believe Jimmy gets traded in the division? No, I don't think San Francisco's that stupid. If Baker goes anywhere, I believe a team would be the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Atlanta, I believe Jimmy G would be the best option there. But I believe, you know... He wants to get traded to a better situation than what Atlanta has, and they have no weapons, uh, no uh, team at all, really. And that's one of the deciding reasons, I think, why Deshaun didn't choose to go to Atlanta is because he looked at it and said, hey, I'm not going to be competitive in this division. And then when you look at Jimmy G and Baker, you also have to take into account that the NFL draft, it's next month. So you're going to have quarterbacks taken off a of board, fill up some of these spots. You're going to have uh, Sam Howell from North Carolina taken, a Malik Willis from Liberty, a Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. So you're going to have some of these teams fill up quarterback spots. So Jimmy G, Baker Mayfield, I believe, are going to be bridge quarterbacks where they're brought in with these rookies. 
to kind of compete with him, maybe compete for one year, you know, have the job for one year before the keys are handed over. Now, San Francisco, I believe your best option is to actually stay with Jimmy G and keep Trey Lance back here, maybe involve, get him involved a little bit more. Uh, I would say a system I would use for San Francisco is a similar system that Jim Harbaugh and Josh, Josh Gaddis used this year in Michigan uh, with Cade uh, McNamara and J.J. McCarthy. That Cade McNamara was the key starter, uh, you know, but more experienced, poised quarterback who didn't turn the ball over, uh, didn't have the arm strength or mobility, but he was a safe, safe option as a pocket quarterback. To me, that's how I see Jimmy G. He's experienced. Uh, he's poised. He's done this before. Uh, he's got the leadership as well. You know, doesn't have the big arm, but, you know, he can sling the ball, you know, to your receivers, find the open guy. But in Michigan, they use J.J. McCarthy quite a lot for, you know, read option, running the football, but also taking some big shots because he's got the cannon. So to throw it on a rope like he did against Wisconsin and a couple of times, that's where you bring his dynamic playmaking ability into effect. I believe the 49ers should do something similar uh, to that case where they bring in Trey Lance. You don't know if they are going to run it, uh, you know, with an RPO, what they're going to do, but you got Trey Lance who can launch it downfield uh, with his arm. So I think it should be a similar system. I don't think, you know, I think you should name Jimmy G the starter. I have it be clear that he's the starter, but not, you shouldn't play Jimmy G Every single snap, you know, and only the games Jimmy G's injured is when Trey Lance comes in. I don't think that's smart. I think it's good to get him accustomed. I think Trey Lance started uh, three or four games this year when Jimmy G was injured. But I think if you get him acquainted more, especially in big games, I mean, I saw J.J. McCarthy in all the big spots against Michigan State uh, in Iowa, you know, for the championship. He was in making plays. So Trey Lance should have that same impact, that same effect, that that is truly their guy that they spent all that draft capital on. I think that is how San Francisco should, you know, build this team and have this team set for next year. Now with the first wave of free agency done, what are my top teams? in the NFL. I'm going to give you my top 10. And number 10, it was truly a pain here. And I'm going to say it was a coin toss between these are my, this is a coin toss team as a number 10 slot where it's, you know, should I just have nine teams because the 10th, you know, really isn't going to do anything. So 10 was a coin toss team. It was a coin toss between the Baltimore Ravens were heads and the Green Bay Packers were tails. And it happened to be Tails and Green Bay Packers were picked. Uh, they also have the better quarterback in uh, Aaron Rodgers, back-to-back MVP. So that inspires more confidence than the Ravens. Both teams are devoid uh, of weapons, a little weapons drop there. Green Bay Packers a bit significantly. But they have a better offensive line. Uh, defensively, they're about the same. They're going to get Jair Alexander back this year. They re-signed Devontae Campbell. Uh, Rasul Douglas. So I expect this team to be competitive. I believe the special teams will be fixed with Rich Bisaccia. 
but they lost too much on the offensive end. They lost Devontae Adams. Uh, they lost Marquez Zeldes Scanley. He lost too many people to be, you know, to be considered, you know, a top top team like they used to be. So number ten is the coin toss team, and the coin toss, you know, Green Bay Packers won it. Now we get to the next a uh, couple teams that are scary. Uh, they are scary if they can get hot at the right time, and we saw them do this. Uh, both teams similar. Number nine, San Francisco 49ers. Uh, they started off, you know, their first couple games looked really good. Uh, and then had a rough middle of a stretch where I believe they were at three and five. And, you know, we wondered, you know, should we fire Kyle Shane in the hand? Should we blow this whole thing up? You know, let's just start Trey Lance now over Jimmy G. But they stuck with it. The defense improved, got healthier. The offense took off with Debo Samuel as the wide back sort of role. And they flourished and went, wound up in the NFC Championship game. What did they do uh, this year to help out their cause? I said they needed secondary help. They went out and got Charverius Ward at a very affordable price. They poached him from the Kansas City Chiefs. I thought that was a great move as well. Uh, they lost Lincoln Tomlinson left guard, but they had an excellent replacement uh, back there as well. So, again, this team should be fine. They have offensive weapons. The defense, the core is still there and intact. So this is a team that I still think if it gets hot at the right time, it can make a run like they did last year. Another team that if it gets hot and can make a run, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, they are at number eight. They are not as dangerous as I believe they were last year because of the loss of Tyreek Hill where they can no longer instill fear in the defenses where Tyreek Hill was not only the guy to just run a vertical route or a streak route down the field and blow past the defender. No, he was also used in the screen game, uh, a slant, short post, any type of small pass, and allow him to run after the catch, you know, yak it up, yards after catch. And he was fantastic at it. And that's what instilled fear is that he can do damage from all three levels. The short, intermediate, and deep passing game, he was always a threat because of his speed, his stop ability. But now they lost that. How do you replace that? Well, you lost Pringle, Robinson. You just left with Nicole Harbin, who's fast on the team. You signed Juju, uh, who's a more physical wide receiver. Marquez Valdez, Scantley, who Aaron Rodgers liked. Uh, but again, this team... Started off hot like the 49ers, had a couple nice wins. And then they were in a lull, and they were 3-4. and four. Everybody thought the dynasty was over. They get hot at the end there. Looked like one of the best teams losing the AFC Championship game, similar to the Niners. But again, like I said, this team kind of restacked. They got a lot of draft capital from the Tyreek Hill trade. But they lose Tyran Matthew. Like I said, they lost Tyreek Hill, so it's not... As dangerous, some of those leaders are gone, but they still got Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, Kelsey, Mahomes, so they can still do damage and get hot, I believe, at the right time. Now, these are my next uh, four teams right here, are AFC powerhouses. Uh, number seven, the Los Angeles Chargers, you know, I guess the next four teams I mentioned could be the most improved teams 
through free agency as well uh, that are truly going all in. Raiders or Chargers, number seven. They know Justin Herbert is their guy. Top five quarterback in the league. Surround him with talent. Resign Mike Williams. You got Keenan Allen. Uh, what do you do? You say defense. Get better. Trade for Khalil Mack. Get J.C. Jackson. Uh, this was a team that struggled at times defensively, but you pair that with uh, Joey Bosa, Derwin James back there as well. You already had two stalwarts. Now you've got four. This is a good Los Angeles Chargers team. Also brought in Sebastian Joseph Day, a defensive tackle. So this is a very much improved team looking to go all in. Another team that improved to go all in, the Las Vegas Raiders. The big trade was Devontae Adams reunite him with Derek Carr, who I believe is a top 10 quarterback. The Raiders are not higher because at times, as a quarterback, I am just unsure of him. He'll have a few great games. You know, you look at the games against the Cowboys, where he's great, but then he'll also have a couple of blunders where he doesn't look that good. He just looks all right. He looks mortal, but there's some games where he looks immortal. And so you add Devontae Adams, the best wide receiver in football, to an offense that has a top five tight end and one of the best slot wide receivers and route runners in Hunter Renfro. It makes this offense even more uh, dynastic and dynamic. And then you add Josh McDaniels, who is an offensive-minded coach as well, uh, I think will be better, will suit this team. You also signed Chandler Jones to pair with Max Crosby, who led the league in pressures and quarterback pressures this year. So the defense, they also, you know, added wealth to the defensive line. So the Raiders, another team that went all in. Another team that improved and went all in. The Denver Broncos. Yes, 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 yes. Russell Wilson. Mr. Unlimited, as he has dubbed himself. They trade for him feeling they are a quarterback away, saying we've got the weapons in Sutton and Patrick and Judy. We've got a decent offensive line. we got Javante Williams. We're a quarterback away. But we're also going to, you know, add another jewel to our treasure chest on defense. That is Randy Gregory to pair with Bradley Chubb to make a great rushing duo. You've got... Pat Tan in the backfield, Justin Simmons. So this team is another team that went improved and all in. You know, three big teams there in the middle of my power rankings. Then you have my next new two teams, which is Super Bowl rematch slash reload. Cincinnati Bengals reloaded. They have all their core intact. They addressed their offensive line. Reloaded it. We signed Lyle Collins, right tackle. Alex Kappa, right guard, and center Ted Karras. All newcomers that have been excellent with their respective teams to revamp this offensive line that in the second half cannot block Von Miller, Aaron Donald. They address it. And the Cincinnati Bengals are reloading for yet another run to the Super Bowl. I mean, yes, to the Super Bowl. 
the other team that reloaded. The Los Angeles Rams, the other Super Bowl team. Yes, Matthew Stafford re-signed him to a contract extension. They have Cooper Cup. Uh, they re-signed Tyler no- uh, Taylor Noteboom uh, to replace Andrew Whitworth, rear left tackle. What did they also do? They traded Robert Woods for a six-round pick, and they brought in Allen Robinson, a very underrated wide receiver, great route runner, uh, great hands, great catching ability. So you add this to the pairing of Cooper Cup, it makes this team that much better, that offense, that good. So you have those teams right there. And then to me, you have my Super Bowl preview, my preseason pick. Uh, I guess it's post-free agency pick since we're not really in preseason, but these are my two favorites. Number two, the Buffalo Bills. Yes, they are a playoff overtime new rule change away, you know, this past year from, I believe, making it to the Super Bowl. But they get it this year. But not only, you know, do they have all the pieces intact to make a Super Bowl run, the quarterback and Josh Allen, the receiver and Stephon Diggs, who have tremendous chemistry, a tight end who I really like in Dawson Knox, a good offensive line, you know, a defense anchored by two all-pro safeties, uh, Micah Hyde, Justin Poyer, who were terrific, Tremaine Edmonds, linebacker. They went out and got Von Miller. They went out to get Von Miller. They already had Gregory Rousseau and players that they drafted. But they went out to get Von Miller to ensure that 13 seconds never comes up again because they got Von Miller, who will show up and have his biggest moments in the biggest games as we continually see, you know, Von Miller. You know, we won't hear a peep out of him in Denver or with the Rams regular season. It's like he was quiet. Then come playoff time, he explodes. He won Super Bowl MVP with the Broncos. This year, he had a tremendous postseason run where he was getting after Brady, got after Joe Burrow, uh, Jimmy G. He was on a tear. You know, he rises to the occasion in the biggest moments. That is what the Bills want. That is what the Bills get. And that's why, to me so far, they are the favorite in the AFC because they went out to get Von Miller. But who's number one? It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brady unretired and said, Ryan Jensen, can you resign? Why? Yeah, sure. Why not? Carlton Davis, you good? Yeah, let me let me resign. Leonard Fournette, oh, sure. You know, let me bring in Logan Ryan, Logan Ryan to replace Jordan Whitehead. Let me call up Shaq Mason, get him going. Hey, Russell Gage, you want to play with me? Oh, yes. Tom Brady. You know, we talked about LeBron James, Le GM, in the great moves that he does in recruiting to his team. He gets tainted this year because he brought in Russell Westbrook. We can't taint uh, Tom Brady. I mean, we'll see what happens this year. But so far, he got a perfect record for recruiting and bringing players to his team. The Buccaneers, I don't believe, are done. I believe in a re-sign Gronk and maybe yet look to add one more piece. Uh, defensive line and through the draft. But the Buccaneers are the NFC favorite with the GOAT at quarterback and how good this team is. So those are my truly terrifying teams. Super Bowl uh, preview right there. My free agency pick, might you say, the Buffalo Bills and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So those were my tiers. You've got the coin toss, Green Bay Packers. 
the two hot streaks, 49ers and Chiefs, uh, most improved all in, Chargers, Raiders, Broncos, reloaded, Bengals and Rams, which would be a Super Bowl rematch, and then my Super Bowl preview, the Bills and the Buccaneers. Now let's get into some NBA. And officially, is the NBA season ended right now at this very minute. The Los Angeles Lakers would not be in the play-in game. They're not one of the top 10 teams in the Western Conference. The Lakers are one of the worst teams in the league. They are sorry. They are pathetic. They don't play any defense. Yesterday, I believe they gave up 82 points in the first half alone. Luka Doncic, a 34-point triple-double. Uh, it was just too easy uh, for Luka, for everybody, really, on the Bucks. Uh, I mean, on the Mavs. I'd seen everybody who was getting shots. Reggie Bullock, Jalen Brunson, Powell, Bertans, everybody. And for the Lakers, Russell Westbrook was just all right. You know, Malik Monk, I thought, was aggressive, played good. But with no LeBron, no AD. They ain't winning. No games. Uh, so this was expected. The Lakers are out of a play-in. And I think it would be better if they missed the playoffs. Because you make the play-in, LeBron can get you a game. Uh, scoring 50, he'll show up against the Pelicans or the Spurs. Uh, and then you'll have you know a do-or-die game to play Phoenix in the series. But then you get swept by Phoenix. I think it's better to miss the playoffs. And that's when you do your best work. You look at the Lakers' first year. Uh, LeBron dealt with some injuries, but they were fourth in the West at uh, Christmas point break. They beat the Warriors with KD at that point in time, still on the team. And the Lakers look good. Then LeBron gets injured. They can't really hold serve, you know, with Kuzma and Brandon Egram, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball. What do they do? They go out, make a major trade, get Anthony Davis. What happens? They win the championship. Then, you know, the following year, you have, you know, the repeat expectations. Can we do it? Uh, injuries kind of derail them. So you go out and make a major trade, get Russell Westbrook. I believe you missed the playoffs with this team, LeBron playing so well. They make so many moves. I don't know if anybody other than LeBron James is on this roster next season. Uh, and I think it would be better for them to miss the playoffs so they are not embarrassed, you know, is a 10th seed and then miss it that way. I'd rather them be out. We don't get to see them on TV or even talk about them. And they are just sort of gone out of the conversation, out of the debate. And it's one of the, you know, most disappointing stories that a team that was pegged as the favorites to make it out of the West doesn't even make it into the playoffs and has no chance of even making it back to 500, sitting at 31 and 44. What else happened in the NBA? Paul George returned last night against who else other than the Utah Jazz. Then this, you know, this game last night felt like deja vu. Jazz up big. They have a 25-point lead at halftime, and I thought, hey, Paul George, I'm sorry, but it ain't happening for you tonight. What happens? Oh, Paul George, he only has a 20-point third 
quarter. Rallies them back to life. Keeps them in the game. And then in the fourth quarter, they go crazy out scoring them. 39-21. to 21. Oh, Luke Kennard dropping three after three. Reggie Jackson getting involved. Uh, Harvenstein. And they come back. Take the lead. Donovan Mitchell calls a timeout. They don't have. Gets a technical for it. Seals the game for the Clippers. They come back from a 25-point deficit and went 121-115, to 115, which was reminiscent of what happened in Game 6 of last year in the playoffs where Utah was up on the Clippers by 25 points at halftime. And the Clippers came back and won this game. It was the same exact story, the same exact thing that I witnessed in disbelief that Utah blew this one, but I guess it just shows that Paul George and the Clippers own Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz, and that the Utah Jazz are still not ready to take another step, and it is a great by Ty Lue that, hey, he lets Donovan Mitchell get his points, but who disappears in these moments? It's Rudy Gobert. It's the defensive player of the year that forgets how to play defense against the Clippers. No, it's Ty Lue's great scheme. And knowing that that man can't guard on the perimeter to save his life, that he is only good in the paint as a rim protector. That's the only defense that he has. He can't guard but one through five like an AD can. He's not that versatile. He's rigid. He's a rock. He's like the Statue of Liberty. He's so still, so stiff. Uh, you should never be awarded another defensive player of the year. I agree fully with Draymond. You know, don't put Rudy Gobert in the same conversation as Draymond Green, as any great defensive player, because he's really not. He's sorry. I agree with Shaq that, you know, hey, anybody who averages 11 points can get a $200 million contract. It's just ridiculous ridiculous uh in utah you know if they don't want to play oscars they should in fact consider trading that bum to another team to where they can get more versatile defensively or have another offensive piece to shoulder with donovan mitchell because rudy gobert is not the guy and tonight there are two games on ESPN, two games I will be picking on from there. The first, the Heat in the Celtics, and this is a tough one. Initially, I was going to pick the Celtics, but with their center, Robert Williams, sideline due to injury, I think it's the Celtics. I mean, I think it's the Heat going to win this game. You know, they've been a little up and down lately, uh, but I think the Celtics, I mean, my bad, I think the Heat can win this game. Uh, you know, if everybody is playing tonight, uh, you know, if Bayamata Bio's out there, uh, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, I believe all those guys are in. I believe they can overmatch the Celtics. Now, the Celtics are a great team. I think the loss of Robert Williams hurts them. I think Miami gets the win uh, tonight. But I think Jason Tatum will put on a show. It's just too much to overcome the depth and the consistency of the Miami Heat. And then you have the Suns and Warriors. And this past weekend, like I said, I went to go see the Phoenix Suns 
play the Philadelphia 76ers, and it was terrible. I was rooting for the 76ers. 76ers, you know, excellent first quarter. It's tight, 39-36, uh, 76ers. Then Devin Booker sets to start the second quarter, and the 76ers go off. Uh, you know, they're up by 15 points, you know, by the time, like, Devin Booker gets back in the game. It's terrific. But they cut down the lead. Then in the third quarter, they actually take the lead. And in the fourth quarter, James Harden can't make a shot. And in the biggest games, you know, James Harden disappears. He vanishes. He's He's gone. He, you know, can't pull up and make his signature three-point shot. You know, I consistently, you know, when you're actually there at the game and you're looking at that player the whole time and I'm looking at James Harden, every time he drives to the basket and misses, looks for a foul. He throws his arms up in the air. He doesn't get back on defense. And it's frustrating because, hey, Phoenix is the numbers advantage now. While you're whining and crying on the other end of the court, it's five-on-four basketball. And then you have the Suns make a three, have an easy layup because you're whining. Ben Doc Rivers has to call a timeout, you know, to stop it. And it gets tiring that you just can't get back on defense. You know, you can think to yourself, hey, that should have been a foul. But at least get get back on defense. It's embarrassing to watch. It's terrible uh, that, you know, that they did that. And that's just the 76ers and who James Harden is. They lost the game yesterday to Giannis and the Bucks as well. Uh, but that was, that was just a conjunction with my son's game. Now back to the Suns and Warriors tonight. I like the Phoenix Suns to win this game uh, tonight. You know, as much as hype as I was on the Warriors uh, to begin with, how good they looked, uh, this is not the same Warriors team. Steph Curry is not playing tonight. Uh, who know, Who knows if any of the other players will be playing, if Draymond, you know, will be back or not. You know, you know he seems to be playing, you know, a game, miss a game, same with Clay Thompson. So I believe just the inconsistency, I have the Suns winning, who have been the model of consistency and who have been the most consistent team um, this whole year and has had, you know, to not deal with the injuries as other teams. You know, Chris Paul, yes, did miss like three or four weeks, but it was nothing crazy like Golden State has been dropping like flies recently. So with that being said, I have the Suns winning the game tonight. Now to get into some NHL, where I'm going to rank my top five teams in the NHL right now. Number five, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yes, this team has 90 points, uh, 42 wins. Andre Vasilevsky has been playing great. They're on a three-game winning streak uh, as well. And, you know, this is a tight uh, division race. Uh, right now, I think Florida's leading it. But, you know, you had Tampa Bay just there at fourth. You know, they win three games. They pass up Toronto and Boston. And they're just showing that resiliency, resiliency, uh, that grit of a playoff team. And with two weeks left to play, uh, their captain, Steven Stamkos, has been their best player, Victor Hedman. Has also been terrific, so this team is clicking right when it needs to be. Number four, uh, the New York Rangers are another team in midst of a decent 
uh, winning streak. They have also uh, won three in a row. They have won seven out of their last uh, ten games. And they beat a couple of good teams in that stretch. They beat my Penguins twice. I am really upset about it. But i got to give props uh, to the Rangers because my team is not converting on their chances. You know, uh, they're leading. You know, then they kind of just sit pat in the uh, second period and try to convert some comeback. But, again, as I've learned with the Rangers, they have the most lethal power play. You cannot put them on the power play. The Penguins have learned the hard way. The Lightning have learned the hard way. The Hurricanes have learned the hard way. So, yes, Rangers are beating good teams. Number three, the Carolina Hurricanes, still the class of the Metro Division, sitting there at number one at 96 points, uh, 44 wins. Uh, this is a team that's also playing well, uh, you know, beat the breaks out of the blue 7-2. to two. Same with the Capitals, 6-1. to one. Uh, So they are scoring points. In bunches right now, they are looking good while doing it. They are fast, young, athletic, Carolina Hurricanes, number three. Number two, the Florida Panthers, also sitting at 96 points, uh, sitting at 45 wins, uh, second most in the NHL, and they've also scored 271 goals, which is by far the most in the league and have the highest goal differential at plus 76 so Florida, offensively, you can't get much better than them. Another team that's scoring a lot of goals behind the efforts of Jonathan Huberdeau, who to me should be in the MVP conversation, uh, leading his team with 93 points. Barkov has also been great scoring goals, but this team uh, with Huberdeau, you know, he should definitely be in that race as, you know, top three, you know, in points is number three behind Connor McDavid in Dreisaitl. But to me, he means much more to this team. And when you look at the record that reflects it as well, you know, and you look at Edmonton with Dreisaitl and McDavid, they should be better than third place in 79 points. But with Huberdeau, they have 96 points in our number one in an Atlantic division. That is much tougher than the Pacific division. And number one goes to the Colorado Avalanche, who have been here for a while. And they are the only team with triple-digit points sitting at 100, the only team to do so. They have the most wins at 47. Again, since the new year, 2022, they have kind of been unstoppable. This team has been so good, uh, the competition that they face. They thwarted, they beat the Flames, who were kind of rising there. You know, they beat down the Oilers uh, as well. So the Avalanche, you know, in the past, they had a good team, and they would kind of lose themselves in these big games. This year, it looks like a different Colorado Avalanche team. So they're number one. So my top five teams are the Tampa Bay Lightning, the New York Rangers, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Florida Panthers, and the Colorado Avalanche. But I'm going to pick two games for tonight. First, the Rangers and the Red Wings. I'm picking the Red Wings. I don't know if I'll ever pick the Rangers the rest of the year. I don't want to. I would take an L just because I don't want to pick them. Uh, you know, I know how dangerous New York is, but this Detroit team is desperate because they started off good that first half of the year. It was solid. The second half of the year has not been kind to the Detroit Red Wings, to uh, Dylan Larkin and to uh, Dolcevic, their goalie. Uh, sorry, I mispronounced your name there. Uh, but, you know, I believe now is the time to get back on the win streak and beat the Rangers. The second game is the Golden Knights 
and the Kraken. Uh, Vegas has not been good on the road recently. They play the Kraken, who are just not a very good team and are the worst team in the Pacific and, you know, could be one of the worst teams of the NHL. They're, you know, bottom three of the NHL. We could have drafted a very competitive team. For that reason, I say the Knights get this one. Uh, they kind of need it uh, with where they're at right now, you know, out of the playoffs, you know, one point behind the Stars for the wild card spot. Uh, this is a time to get on the track, start winning some games, get into the wild card conversation, the playoff conversation. Uh, I get, I guess, uh, or I'll pick Vegas to win this game and beat the Seattle Kraken. Now, lastly, March Madness. The final four is set. St. Peter's had a terrific run. Lost to North Carolina in the Elite Eight. But to me, the greatest Cinderella story of all time, the first 15 seed, to make it to the Elite Eight and, you know, beat good teams, you know, like Kentucky that was in their path and... Major props to them for making it that far. It was a great run by Shaheen Holloway and his guys. Uh, true madness right there. You know, three one seeds, you know, being out by the Sweet 16. Also big, you know, one of those down in around a 32, two go down in the Sweet 16. You know, big names exiting left and right. You know, it is March Madness. But now we get down to the Blue Bloods uh, before, you know, best teams represented by this field of 64. The first matchup is Villanova in Kansas, and injuries have not been kind uh, to Villanova. Um, One of their players, you know, his name is escaping me uh, at the moment for Villanova, uh, but he's done uh, the rest of the year. I forget if it's uh, Moore or who it is. Uh, I believe it is. Uh, Justin Moore, who's out with an Achilles injury. They have another player out due to injury. So they're racking up injury. But I'm picking Villanova to win this game. Kansas is a healthier team. They have a better overall player out of the two in Abaji. Uh, I'm not a fan of Colin Gillespie. You know, I haven't seen him look, you know, great. But the key is if you're in a close game here uh, and you send Villanova to the free throw line, they're going to make their free throws. I believe this game's going to be close. I believe Jay Wright is one of the best college basketball coaches in the game right now. He is better than Bill Self. And Kansas and this moments have choked. I look at the Kansas team, you know, a few years ago they had a good team, and they lost to Villanova in this same situation. I'll say Villanova, I'll concede and say Villanova had a better team then. But Jay Wright is a better coach. He's going to have his guys in order. I think Villanova makes it to the national championship uh, yet again, who's kind of been playing suffocating defense. They held Houston to 44, Michigan to 55, uh, Ohio State to 61, Delaware 60, Creighton 48. I mean, they are playing really good defense. Uh, I like Villanova uh, to win this game uh, because they have Jay Wright as their head coach. And because I don't trust Kansas uh, at all. And then, to me, what could be one of the greatest college basketball games of all time, uh, North Carolina and Duke. 
the first times they have ever met in the March Madness tournament. You know, the best college basketball rivalry of all time, North Carolina and Duke. No Roy Williams. Coach K's last run. This is going to be tremendous. Eight seed North Carolina, two seed Duke. And to me, this is one where you throw out the records, uh, everything. I mean, you look at how these two teams have met up recently. Uh, you look at the game earlier in the season, February. You know, Duke just annihilated North Carolina, one by 20. Then you fast forward a month, you know, to March. And North Carolina beat Duke by double digits in, you know, Duke's last home game. Uh, so to me, this is going to be, you know, more emotional, as emotional, more emotional uh, than that last home game because here he is facing a team that he knows very well and a team that knows him very well, and it's going to go down to the wire. Uh, but to me, Duke has the better talent. They have Paulo Banchero. Uh, Wendell Moore, you know, lottery picks. And to me, that's what's going to come down to. It's going to come down to the players making plays. And Duke has been my pick all along. So I'm staying with Duke. I think this game is going to be very close, uh, very tight. But, you know, Coach K, I don't think anything's stopping him uh, from making it to the national uh, championship game. I like Duke uh, to win uh, this game uh, tonight. Then to wrap up, we got maybe Tiger Woods in the Masters. He happened to practice all 18 yesterday with his son and with Justin Thomas. Could the Masters be in play? It's definitely a possibility. His name is still on the list. He is not withdrawn. To me, that would be great for the game of golf if he were to play in the Masters. I would love it. Again, I only want him to play if he is healthy. And if he feels he has a legitimate shot to win the Masters, you know, if they don't, then if he doesn't, if he thinks, you know, he's too limited, I don't want to see him hurt himself or just like poor. But Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer of all time, uh, you know, he makes a sport better even, you know, at 45 years of age or 46, however old he is, uh, People still in to tune him, but casual golf fan will tune in to the Masters to watch uh, Tiger Woods. He is still, to me, the face of golf. It's still, you know, the Phil Mickelson's, you know, mind his comments that he said a few months ago. But it's still, you know, their faces on there. To me, Rory McIlroy has been a dud as of recently. And, you know, Bryson DeChambeau has been injured. And he just has so many different players winning. There's not. One guy who is the face like I feel Tiger is the face of the PGA Tour. So if he were to play, I think it would be great. I want to see him play, but only if he is healthy and he thinks he has a shot to win. But that is it. This has been Get Your Goat. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, everybody.